I'm going to ask in a moment that we read out loud the text today. I want you to turn, or we'll show it, as I said, to Psalm chapter 1, and we're going to read Psalm 1 through 3, and then we're going to read Ecclesiastes 12 and 1, and then we're going to go to the New Testament over to Ephesians 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. And I want everybody from, let's say, oh, how about 25 and below? How many of you wish you could still stand at 25 and below? How many of you just want to grow old and fade away? (laughs) Everybody 25 years and younger stand, and I want you to help me read this today. So stand. Come on, all the kiddos, all the young people, all the... Uh, young, here we go. Okay, let's make it 30 and below. How's that? You, you're not 30 years old. Get on your feet. What are you talking about? How many of you like to be young like that? Well, anyway. I tell you what let's do. Let's do it at 40 because I want to include all I can. If 40 and, and younger stand. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Truthfully. <laughs> I want you to read this with me. Ready? I want to look Psalm chapter 1. And, but before we read it, I want you to hear this. Psalm is a book of 150 songs, hymns if you will. And to introduce them all, it seems like the Spirit of God would use a simple word called blessed. But I want to ask us, and before we read, I want us to figure out something about the meaning of this word. Some translate this word as happy. Some translate this word as fortune. And truly, God is interested in our everyday life. But from an eternal perspective, I want you to know that God had rather have us holy than have us happy. And to know our Creator in a personal relationship is definitely something of fortune. It is, we are fortunate people. However, what really matters is what the psalmist means when he uses the word blessed. So let me just tell you, I studied the original language. I studied it in its context. This word is what the psalmist is trying to convey in this psalm. When he says the word blessed, he means a light of A life of delight. He means a life of fruitfulness. A life with a sense of value or worth. A life with a sense of destiny. So the psalmist writes, blessed is. How many of you want to have a delightful life? With fruitfulness and destiny and a value Yes, we do. So all together, we're going to read this, especially everybody standing. Read it with me. Verse 1, chapter 1. Ready? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. 
Wow, those are powerful words. A few pages over, the last portion of, of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 1. Ready? Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. Let's read that again. Ready? Remember? Okay, listen to me. We're on line, and I want the people online to hear you read that, okay? So let's let this happen. Come on, kids, say it with me. Ready? Remember? Okay, stop. I want you to say this like you were screaming at your brother or sister. Okay? Let's just try to get a little enthusiasm here. Ready? Remember now, your Creator, in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Wow. Needed another cup of coffee this morning. Okay. Ecclesiastes, I'm sorry, Ephesians, New Testament, chapter 6, 1 through 3. Let's all stand and let's read it together today. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Ready? Children? Okay, let's do this like this. Ready? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well. And you may live a long life on earth. I just want to tell you, you have read words that are forever settled in heaven's never going to change. So turn to someone and say, you read pretty good. Okay, thank you. You may be seated. Right up front, I want to share with you that I'm going to be as simple today as I can. I'm going to be as forward as I can. I don't want to be preachy this morning. I want to teach. I want to, I want to just talk to us. We are in a day where our minds, our bodies, our soul, our spirits are literally barraged with noise, video, Lights, music, attention, noise of all kinds. We're in a noisy world. It's all designed to grab our attention and to solicit, if you will, and I could even use the word to seduce us to follow. I know that today there is COVID-19, and I know there is virtual school. I, I know business and families and everything about our life has had to take on an entirely different venue. The internet has forever changed our lives. But I want to tell you something. It all affects how we live. And even adults, I want to, I want to say this. We, in this particular time, should keep our children and our young people in the altars of our homes. Well, I got four amens. Mom and dad, you're spiritually the leaders. You should keep your children in the altar of your house. 
We need to keep the altar of the youth service open and the altar of the church open. I want to speak especially to the youth, but I want you to know that what I'm going to say today is going to be very applicable to everyone. I am going to try to teach young people things that I fear are not being taught in millions of homes today. I just want to be very simple with you, but I want to be profound in the ideas that I give us. I'm going to talk on the subject this morning. If I really wanted to live for God, what would I do? If I really wanted to live for God, how many of you want to know that you know when it's all over, you're going to be in heaven? Parents, you have to show the example. It will not work for you to say, do as I say, because our kids will do what we do. What would I do? I want to declare to you there is a roadmap, a book with guidelines, and if followed, we have the promise of eternal life, and between now and then, we have the promise of happiness and blessing and destiny and purpose and fun, and God put us on this earth so that we could enjoy it, and He wants to show us how that's done. Something about human nature is this. Every one of us desire freedom. We all really, in the deep parts of our minds and hearts, we want freedom to do as we please. Don't we? I just want to do what I want to do. Nothing wrong with that, but it's pretty naive in a world that will teach you differently. <laughs> we want to do what we want to do. We, we want freedom to enjoy life, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there is a lesson that needs to be learned by young, middle-aged, old alike, everyone included. Listen to this. If we received everything we wanted and we got to go every place we want to go and we got to do everything we would like to do, we would all be in trouble. Wouldn't we? It's true. The bottom line is, there must be a thing in human behavior and human experience, and to have any kind of a culture where people can be happy, and they can enjoy life, and they can experience a great time as they travel their 70 years or so, there must be restraint. Restraint is required. And Satan puts this idea in our heart today where we have a philosophy. You want to know the new description of sin? It is this. It is a kicking aside of all restraints, all restrictions, all rules, all boundaries. I just want to live the way I want to live and do what I want to do and I don't care how it affects anybody else. But ladies and gentlemen, without restraint, we do not live in any kind of a culture that would be other than total chaos and destruction. Freedom is represented by many things. 
Let me take you back about 130 years ago when I was eight years old. <laughs> You'll get it. You'll get it. Do the math. When I was in grade school, I was in a little two-room school way out in the country. The lady taught the first four grades. The man taught in the second room. The next four grades, you graduated from eighth grade, and then you went to the big city of 800 people <laughs> and graduated high school. I will never forget, we lived on that old farmhouse on a highway, but it had about a 100-yard gravel road. And my dad bought me a bicycle. I wanted a bicycle. The problem was two things. It was very used. And the most, the most outstanding thing about it was it didn't have any tires. It had wheels, but no tires. <laughs> and let me tell you, if you've ever ridden a bicycle on the rim compared to on a tire, you've got, you got a thing coming. You'll learn something about rough. <laughs> you should try to ride a bicycle with no tires on gravel. And, and don't... <laughs> It's just, that's just the way it was. That's what I got. That summer, I couldn't wait to get some tires. I ran up to Oakland, out, out in Midwest City somewhere. Uh, my grandmother lived, granddad, grandmother lived on Sunny Lane. I hadn't thought of it in years. But they had a VBS, and at the VBS they had a contest, and who brought the most guests would win $10. Do you know how much $10 was then? Yeah, like 3000 today, maybe not. I decided that I was going to win that $10. I spent the day, I had VBS at night. I spent the day down the street. Bottom line was, I won the $10. I thought I was wealthy. I came home, I handed that $10 to my dad, and I said, Dad, I want some tires on my bicycle. Okay. Night or two later, my dad brought those tires and, he said, here, put them on. And you, you know, when you're eight years old, you, that's pretty, I mean, it's a challenge. And I worked on it for about three days, and I, I got the tires on the rims, but I never could get the chain and the things back. I don't know what it was. I never could get it finished. So my dad came home. He said, what's the problem? I said, I, I got the tires on. I got them aired up. How many remember the old hand pump air tubes? It wasn't any of this compression, psh, busy, Memories. Anyway, I put the air in the tires and got them ready. My dad fixed it, and oh my Lord, the day of great awakening happened. My mom said, Dave, come here. I want you to get on your bicycle, which had a basket on the front. I want you to ride a mile and a half away to the old country store on the paved road and I want you to bring us a loaf of bread. That's a mile and a half one way and a mile and a half back. That's three miles. I will never forget the feeling and the experience I had when I got on that smooth super slab. And I rode a bike for three miles. I'm telling you, I thought I absolutely had got on top of the world. And there's a long hill to climb when you first, it's about three-quarter, maybe half a mile or so, about three-quarter mile. And I struggled going. But when I came back at the top of that hill, I got all kinds of confident 
And I decided I would take my feet off the pedals and put them up on the handlebars. Listen, once you ride on rims, you can ride that bicycle. <laughs> I can promise. I went down that half a mile. I had no idea that thing would go that fast. I, I had, that's just one of the, you know. Listen, when you don't have much, it didn't take much to impress you. <laughs> I was free and wonderful and everything was great. I turned on the gravel road, got to the house, and I was on top of the world until I found out that goat heads in the grass will cause flats on a bike. So my dad got me one of these camel patch kits. How many have ever seen them? Most of you haven't seen them. They're a little piece of rubber and glue, and you have to scratch it and sand it, and you have to take it off and do it inside and take the tube out and do all that, and I've done that. I cannot tell you how many times. Since that day, I've learned something about freedom. The real only true lasting freedom, the only really true lasting satisfaction is to get in, stay in, and live in the absolute will of God for your life. All this is fleeting and passing and it's wonderful and it can be fun and I love life, but it's passing. I also learned something, young people, young people hear me. Sooner or later, no matter how old you are, no matter how powerful you are, no matter how strong you become, no matter how wealthy you become, no matter what position you hold, you will find that in life there is always going to be somebody telling you what to do. Young people, please hear me. The truly happy people live within the guidelines of this Bible. The only truly happy people are those who are willing to obey God's scriptures and live in His plan. Oh, there's pleasure in the sin season and many people are drinking their fill, but when it's over, it always is added sorrow. It never pays off. Read Luke 15, the prodigal son. In his, I will live as I please, give me my inheritance, I will live as I please. And it didn't take him long to find out that people will use you till what you have is gone, and then you're by yourself, and everybody becomes your boss. What would I do if I were going to live for the Lord? If I really, really wanted to live for the Lord, what would I do? Here they are. And by the way, where's Perryman? He's three-point Perryman. Did you know he's had, the last two times I heard him preach, had four points? I got you beat, son. I'm going to do ten. Don't faint. <laughs> what would I do if I really wanted to live for the Lord? The first thing I would do is this. I would watch what enters my eyes. I'm going to take us back to my VBS days and Sunday school days, and I'm going to remind you of a little song. It goes like this. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a Father up above looking down in tender love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Job 31.1 says, I made a covenant with my eyes. Whether you're in this sanctuary or online and you are young or old, whether you are male or female, rich or poor, bond or free, I just want to tell you something. Satan 
capitalizes on the powerful gift that God gave us called vision. David found it out in his young life. Here he is. He's the king. He has wealth. He has position. He has power. He's the king. He wears the crown. He's on the throne. He has great prestige. But instead of doing his job, he let his eyes see something that he was not allowed to. He saw Bathsheba bathing because he let lust get in his eyes and his heart. What he allowed his eyes to see destroyed most of his life. The result was adultery and murder. Four curses upon his home. The sword would never leave his house. The son would, a son would try to take his throne eventually. A baby would be born and die. Another son would kill his own brother I want to tell you something. All because David did not watch his vision and keep his eyes in some kind of virtue of restraint, it destroyed his life. All because he didn't watch what he allowed his eyes to see. Young people, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are in a very visual society. Be careful what you view. And I want to say to every male, especially in this house and online, tell me how spiritual you are all you want, but I'm going to tell you something. Pornography is an insidious, ensnaring sin, and you're no match for it unless you do two things. First of all, stay away. Secondly, keep God in your life every moment of the day. Am I ever glad you came? I'd watch what comes to my eyes. Secondly, if I wanted to live for God, I would watch what leaves my mouth. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Father up above, looking down into the lip. There is no weapon has done more damage in this world than an undisciplined tongue. So let's confess our sin this morning. How many of you have said something you wish you hadn't said? Until every hand's raised, we're going to sit right here. There you go. Thank you, you're so honest. <laughs> you ever wish you just hadn't said what you said? Let me talk to you just a minute about that. Learn this, young people, that if person A talks about person B to you, they'll talk about you to person B. And person B will talk about you to person A. And if you stay in that company, you'll talk about A and B. Criticizing and slandering another person is really a roundabout way of imposing a self-pride within us. Because if you and I, Jared, and we're talking about, you know, old Blake over there. You know what we're really doing? We're saying, aren't we better than that? We don't do those things. He's less than us and we're more than him. When we gossip, what I'm trying to say is, I just want you to see how wonderful I am. Compared to Blake. 
Not much challenge, right, Bill? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> One of my favorite stories years ago was on Halloween out to trick-or-treat. A young girl walks up to a house, and she rings the doorbell, and she cries trick-or-treat. The man of the house turns and takes an apple, and she opens her sack, and dro he drops that apple in her sack, and she said something that was amazing. She, when he dropped that apple in her sack, she said, Look at what you did, you big dummy. You broke my cookie. There's a lot of people that look beautiful. And a lot of people can have an appearance and open their mouth and ruin themselves. By the way, just because I like to meddle as a pastor, it's my calling. I just want to ask you, where do you think she got that kind of attitude? Because she has heard that out of the mouth of somebody at the house. Just saying. Young people, youth, an indiscreet vocabulary is despicable. And I want to declare to you that our so-called and very stretched Hollywood heroes have literally inundated our society with filthy language and it's an abomination to the Lord. Don't speak what they speak. Keep your language The Bible makes it very clear. Every person in this room will someday give an account for every word we speak. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Number three, I'd watch what enters my ears. Want to sing it? Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Careful, little ears, what you hear. If, if you're wondering and hear an adult and say, my Lord, where's the dignity of pastor today? I understand. I realize that I look a little foolish, but I am trying, if I can, to mark your children's minds. I'd be careful what enters my ears. I said today there are thousands of voices trying to vie for our hearing. I just want to tell you, young people, you should shun other young people that tell filthy jokes. Don't be a part of that kind of company. Be aware of suggestive, even demonic musical lyrics. Today we have some songs that are most seductive songs I've ever heard in my life. Even at Christmas time. I don't know if you know this or not. And, and this may offend you. I don't intend to offend, offend you. But I'm going to tell you something. When we leave Silent Night. And when we leave Hark the Herald's Angels Sing. And we play on our, time, our radios. And at the time of Christ's birth. Baby it's cold outside. Something's wrong with this society. That song is nothing but sensual seduction. Young people, beware from whom you take counsel. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful. 
And I hear somebody saying, well, you know, uh, just, just, uh, I don't think it hurts to hear it as long as I don't do anything with it. Listen, what you see and what you hear and what you think affects everything you do. Let me hurry. Number four, I would watch what I read. And can I say especially on the internet? I would expect every parent in this room to say amen there. Boy, guys, parents, I'm trying to help you this morning. Today we call pornography daring art forms. Today we call tainted literature realism. Today we call lust love novels. Some people say, Pastor, I just think it's important that we read other philosophies. Can I tell you, sir, madam, the Bible is full of other philosophies and their results. You don't have to get outside this book to know how it turns out. And there is not an area in life that this book doesn't cover. And not even all religious books are profitable. That's why parents, you ought to understand what your child should read and what they should not. There are millions of people, young people hear me, there are millions of adults today who are totally in a struggle and, and wrestling with any kind of reality whatsoever because they, love, they, they, they read some old love novel or they even looked upon some, what do you call these daytime shows, the, the, the soap, soap operas. They still have soap operas. They, they, they have all those shows and sitcoms. They watch all that stuff. They read all that. They look at all that. And then they find out that it's not real life. And then they don't know how to handle real life. You say, Pastor, that's ridiculous. I, I will tell you, if you think that's ridiculous, you need to come and sit in my office for a week or two. I'm talking 40, 50, 80-year-old people. Well, maybe 70-year-old people. But, ladies and gentlemen, everything you read is not true. And everything you read on the Internet's not true. Well, Pastor, we know that. Then watch what you read because it affects you. It's important what you read. Number five. Ready? I'd watch what manner. I'd watch my manner of dress. Oh, my goodness. Surely, Pastor, we're not going to walk down that road. Yeah, we are. I just want to declare to you this. Modesty is always in style. A young lady asked years ago, how should I dress? How should I dress? I'll never forget. I said, young lady, always dress as if Jesus were your escort. I just want to say two things about it. And I know, I, 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 realize, I, I, I realize I'm going back to 1902. I realize that. I'm really not an old stick in the mud. I understand nice clothes and all. But I just want to tell you two things God intended about how we dress. Number one, He wants us to be able to tell the difference in the male and the female. If you're a male, be all male. If you're a female, be all female. 
But he wants that, secondly, he wants that difference modestly shown. Let me meddle just a minute. Young men, in light of all that, let me tell you something. Young ladies still like to be treated like young ladies. I don't care how macho that we've tried to make them in our society. I don't care how much they feel like they have to try to compete with men in sports and vice versa. And what a mess we have going on with that deal. I just want you to understand something. (laughs) Young ladies still like to be treated like a young lady. Parents, teach your children. Things that, you, that, that are important, like, for instance, you have a teenager. He gets up and he wants to ask a girl on the date. Let me tell you something. Teach that young man to drive up to the door, ring the doorbell, meet the parents, ask for the girl to come on a date. Don't you, parents, don't you dare let some young 16, 18-year-old guy drive up and honk the horn and let your daughter go out there. Listen, nobody... God knew what he's doing when he didn't give me a girl. There would never be a guy come pick my girl up that I didn't see first. And that he didn't have an understanding right up front. This is my baby. I bought all the booties. I bought the lacy dresses, all the lacy panties. I made all the pretty dress on Easter. I did all that, the candles and all that. And if you think, sir, that I'm not going to know something about you before you take my prized possession, I will do what they call cloud up and rain all over you. <laughs> Not going to do it. <laughs> and I've learned something about this. It's so interesting. You get a guy like Quentin, Mike, all these big guys, you know, that have the, they look like they're stacked full of softballs, you know, and they're strong enough. Let me tell you something. They could face a lion. They may lift 300 pounds and all that kind of stuff, but I'm going to tell you something. The most difficult thing they do after all that strength is say, answer the question, who gives this girl to this jerk? (laughs) I'm just kidding you, I'm just kidding you. (laughs) I've just, I've never been there. I know the Lord. I, I, I couldn't do that. Boy, I just locked my whole spirit hard up here. <laughs> don't, you, don't you let that girl run out there. And let, young ladies, don't you get to the car. Don't open the door, car door yourself. Don't open the restaurant door. Listen, you're that dainty, most beautiful, perfumed up, dressed up little picture of beauty of his eye and you want to be treated like a lady when it comes to make him open that car door make him shut that car up make him open that restaurant door make listen this should be something of a relationship not just buddies wow after all you know what this guy you're dating he's all He's all stout and he's muscular and he's all that and you're this sweet little make him open the doors. I'll tell you something funny. I use my sons. I'll never forget when I taught Quentin and Chad to go knock on the door 
and how to approach a dad and how to ask the girl out for a date or to pick her up. And I'd have them ring the doorbell and they would meet me. <laughs> and they were going to date mom. You say, Pastor, how totally ridiculous, foolish. Don't you cheat your children by not teaching them how to handle life. Teach them, teach them, teach them, teach them. I'm going to get off of what manner of dress. I know, I know we're in the days of struggling with gender ID. And I know in the days, we're in the days of promiscuity. But I beg you, young people, listen to me. Decide you're going to live a life of dignity. Have some class. Have some self-respect. Represent the king of your heart in all manner of life. Number six, I would watch my amusement. Here's the little song, Be Careful Little Feet Where You Go. God placed us on earth, I said, to enjoy it. Because of the fall, Satan has demonized many areas of entertainment. But that's the reason the church and the church services and youth and youth camps and all the things that we do are extremely report, important. And the best relationships, your young people with children and youth and young marriage, the best relationships you'll ever have are confined in the confines of those who are of like precious faith. It's important and imperative to have godly friends. No churches are perfect. No pastors are perfect. But don't come and just say, listen, if there's a problem, don't be a part of the problem. Be a part of the solution. Make it great. It's the best investment you'll ever have in your children. Number seven, I would watch my company. Teenagers, young people, kiddos, please hear me. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, it says, He who walks with wise men will be wise. But the companion of fools will be destroyed because they destroy themselves. It's important who you choose for friends. The scripture says, Evil company corrupts good morals. Look, everybody wants to be accepted. Everybody wants to be approval. Everybody wants to be in the in crowd. Here's my statement. Some of you have known me for 33 and a half years here. Here it is. Young people, kiddos, please listen to pastor. Show me your friends or your crowd. I will tell your future. Show me your crowd. I'll tell your future. Show me your crowd. I'll tell your future. Pastor, are we supposed to pull ourselves in the confines of a four-cornered wall in church and not witness? No, not at all. I'm talking about who your friends are. Here's why. Because your friends influence you. And let me be very plain this morning, young people. If you're 8, 9, 10, or you're 59, or you're 89, I want to tell you something. Anyone that pulls you out of the path toward heaven is not your friend. Anybody that mocks your relationship with God is not your friend. Amen. And let me just say, speaking of dating, I'm really going to go back 90 years, I guess, maybe more. 
You'll do well to remember this, young people. Some of you may have never heard this. Kids, listen to this. Every date is a potential mate. Every date is a potential mate. We need to think about that. How many have ever been on a blind date? Blind date? Just understand. Understand that that even small attraction can wind up being a lifetime decision. Be careful. Here's another one. Like mother, like daughter, like father, like son. How many of you have never heard that before? Let me see. You've never heard that before. No, you've never heard it. Let me see your hand. Oh, okay. I, I about fainted. I just about lost everybody. No, 90% raised their hand. I went, oh no, oh no, oh no. I surely hadn't failed that badly. Like mother, like daughter, like father, like son. While you're dating, sir, while you're dating, young lady, you do well to look at mom and dad in that household. You do, listen, that girl's been under that for at least 18, 20 years or plus. That young man's been in that house 18 years plus. You do well to look at the situation and you can learn a lot and see if you want to be involved or not. I know that went over like a pork chop in a synagogue, but it needed to be said. Watch your company. <laughs> if I really wanted to live for God, number eight, I would purposefully know the Bible. Purposefully know the Bible. This book gives power to resist Satan. This book gives wisdom to make great, solid, wise decisions. This book gives principles that will chart the course of your life. I want to remind you that when Satan was allowed to tempt the Christ himself after 40 days of fasting, he came to him, we know, at least three times. And every time, Jesus himself used the word of God to the enemy that was coming against his life. He said, get behind me, it is written. It's settled. And young people, the Holy Spirit of God that comes into your being when you receive salvation, that Spirit will bring the Word of God into your spirit in the midst of the battle. Number nine, I'll be quick. If I really wanted to live for God, I would be filled with the Spirit of God. I thank God for my Pentecostal heritage. I know there's been extremes for years in some places. And I know there's been a lot of sensationalism. And I understand all those. But in the midst of all that, let me tell you this. The devil hates a spirit-baptized man, woman, or young person that knows how to be led and be involved in the gifts of the Spirit when it's time to do battle against the enemy. I am so glad that I was raised, even though it was a crude old church years ago, I am so glad I was raised in a church where my parents went to the altar and stayed before the Lord. And they would take me and take my sisters 
We would go to the Lord in the altar. I am so thankful that my big daddy, my little mom, were not ashamed to raise their hands and worship and praise to the Lord without restriction. It was saying, here we are. We belong to you. We're not ashamed of what we believe. And it, it, I thank God that I know what it is to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Thankful I know what it is to be in the presence of the Lord. And lastly, let me close. If I really wanted to live for God, number 10, I would be certain that I would wed the mate God has for me. Young people, hear me. This world, ever since you've been born, if you're 30 years or younger, or 40 years and younger, has been inundated with trying to teach you lust of the flesh, left of the eye, and the pride of life. And everything, have you ever noticed that we can't advertise a box of cereal or a car or anything, medicine and anything without some kind of sexual innuendo? And I'm not against life. I, I, I live in a real world too. But we mix, we confuse what real love is a lot of times with a lot of things. The world says, you marry because you're in love. But I'm going to tell you, that kind of worldly love is so fickle. Look at why we have over 50% divorces. It can be based on the idea of being in love. Oh, listen, young ladies, it's not a sin to turn 18 and not be married. I understand all the emotions. I understand that. Please hear me. I'm trying to help you. Listen, it can be based on lust and physical attraction. If that's all you have, it's thin skating. Because I'm going to tell you something. I don't care how the perfume smells. I don't care how, how beautiful the dress is. And I don't care how gorgeous that man is. In a few years, it's going to change. Hello? I know I just made every friend in the house. I, I understand. Better be based on something far more than what looks good should be based on principles, on truth, on holiness, on spirit leading. It should be based on, this is the will of God for my life. I never marry a couple, but I don't look them in the eye and say, I want you to tell me, without shadow of doubt, that young man, that young lady is the will of God for your life. And let me just say something. If you get to the marriage altar, you get there that day and we're going to do your wedding and suddenly there's this doubt and there's this question, don't you dare out of pressure walk down that road. You tell me, you know what I will do? I'll tell you right now. I will say we wish the best for these young people. We love them. We want this. There's a little bit of question here. We're going to love you. We're going to thank you, but we're going to give them time. And if you were in that audience, how many of you would encourage that young man and woman to do that rather than in pressure do something wrong? Let me see your hand. Absolutely. Young people, we're, we are far too, far too cognizantly manipulated by what people think. We need to know what the Master we need to be led by the one who wonderfully and fearfully formed us in our mother's womb even before the foundation of the earth. I would be sure I was marrying in the will of God.
Because when you get married and you're in the will of God, the world will shake you. This enemy can try to toss you and beat you up. But I'm going to tell you something. If you've got a teammate that loves God and you're on that team, you and God and that bride or that group, you are a majority. And there is nothing God cannot help you through. Nothing. Our problem is we sometimes use God as a last resort instead of a first resort. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be glad when this is over, so let me close. Generation 2021. I know I represent. I know, I, I know this present darkness. And I know it's new age values. And I know it's satanic philosophies. And I know the world out there by and large that have no room for God or His Word, I know they would laugh me to scorn. But I want you to hear me. Trust me and believe me. God's Word, God's statutes, God's commandments, God's precepts, God's judgments, God's law, God's knowledge, God's prophecies are never outdated. And they are yea and amen. And they are for 2021, just like they were on day one. How many of you believe the book? I hope you will take what I shared with you today in love. I know I didn't entertain us a lot. Maybe you think this is lacking in some theological content. But I want to tell you, listen to the simplicity you'll find 